This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Welcome to the Blood Red podcast as the Premier League have confirmed Liverpool remain on course to win their first league title in 30 years, but the action won't be returning in early May. I'm Guy Clark and welcome along as we get set to dive into the latest from the Premier League. We'll also be talking about what a champion both on and off the pitch Reds captain Jordan Henderson is. And once the more important and serious stuff is dealt with, we're going to be delving back through the archives as today marks 24 years since Collie Moore was closing in as Liverpool beat Newcastle 4-3 in perhaps the Premier League's greatest ever night. Well, certainly from a red persuasion, that is. Joining me to go through all of that is our chief LFC writer, Ian Doyle. Doyle, how are you? I'm OK, yourself? Yeah, not bad, thanks. Dan Kay, how are you, mate? I'm all right, thanks, Guy. Glad it's Friday, even if obviously weekends have a slightly different feel to them at the moment. But uh, yeah, looking forward to getting into some red hot soccer chat, as David Mell used to say about our, our wonderful team. Brilliant stuff, and the sun is certainly shining. What a start that is from Dan Kay, and also Matt Addison with us. Matt, how are you? Yeah, uh, as good as I can be, considering uh, the circumstances. Being cooped up in the flat isn't the, the ideal scenario, but uh, yeah, I'm doing okay, thank you. And it's certainly, whilst the sun's shining and you want to get outside, it's felt like a long day all round, but the Premier League have been having their meeting today, Doyley, and certainly a lot of it coming out from them, primarily that football isn't going to be coming back from the 1st of May because the initial suspension was till the 30th of April. We seem now to be in an indefinite suspension. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the many things, as you say, that came out of this meeting. Uh, I think everybody knew that uh, football wasn't going to be coming back at the start of May. You know, anybody who's, who's you know, followed the situation that's been going on around the country would know that, and, and obviously around Europe and the world as well. So no surprise there. What was interesting is that for, for all the talk we've had of, you know, people wanting to, some clubs wanting to avoid the season, it seems though there is a collective will between all the clubs to uh, conclude the season. But as they say, only when it is safe to do so and also only with, you know, government approval and the approval of the of the services, the medical services, the police and uh, whatnot. So it won't be happening anytime soon. But, you know, it's good for Liverpool in the sense that at least there's a bit of clarity now and that, you know, that going forward, everybody seems to be on the same page. They all want to... Uh, conclude the season I think the statement said for the integrity of the maintain the integrity sorry of the competitions which is fair enough I mean we've seen people we've spoken about it already Harry Kane saying uh, what was it last earlier this week that he wouldn't mind if it's if it's not all done by the end of June or July he said that we, we should just scrap it and start again but you know we've, we've all spoken about this so you know myriad of other issues that could take place you know it could get locked we could get locked down again you know further down the line so I think it's the sensible thing to do. It's also sensible not to put any deadline on it because then there's no pressure, is it, for for, for anybody to, to stick to something. But, I mean, they'll all be making plans. They'll be, you know, going through various situations for if and when it comes back. And, you know, even, even if they get the green light, it'll be a few weeks after that because we've mentioned before that they'll have to have some kind of mini, you know, pre-season to, to get the players all, all fit again because they won't have, you know, while they're doing their own training programmes, they won't have trained properly, certainly not as a team, for, for a number of months. And I'm sure you'll touch on it in a bit, but there are one or two other issues that came out of it. I mean, the Premier League are going to donate £20 million immediately to the NHS. They're also going to give £125 million to the EFL clubs and National League clubs, particularly those who are struggling because, you know, some are going to be uh, struggling a bit more than others. We've seen that already with uh, with some clubs, some of the decisions they've had, tough decisions they've had to make in those lower leagues. And there's also going to be a meeting tomorrow where um, they're going to discuss with the PFA that 
Perhaps players could take up to 30% wage cut. Whether that's a wage cut for an hour or a deferral, I don't know. I mean, that's something they'll thrash out. But, you know, given the fact it was, what was it, 24, 48 hours when uh, the government was uh, having a bit of a sly dig at uh, Premier League football, as it seems, they've issued a bit more of a more cohesive, considered and, you know, definitive response than some other people are doing at the moment. Yeah, no, certainly. Doily really sort of going through just how much it obviously means, Dan. But I, th- I think one of the, the key things I certainly took from reading the statement was the fact that these games are now going to obviously be played to the conclusion for the integrity of the competition. And it seemed to hint to me, I know it was one of the big talking points we had on, on Monday's episode, but that for that integrity and once it's all safe to do so, that could involve obviously playing it out full with the fans returning. Well, you know, as someone who's a journalist but also a football fan, you know, I think I've said a few times that that for me, it's if it's in any way possible for supporters to be there, then I think it very much should do because I think it, a it ties into the the integrity of the competition when we've had three quarters of the matches played in front of crowds. So you could argue that the you know, the results of those if games were played without crowds, it's it's a different variable. But also in a wider societal sense, I also think it's very important for all football fans. Yeah, whether they actually attend matches or not, because it, it's worth pointing out that, you know, if, if these games were played behind closed doors, right, you know, only a fraction of the football watching public actually goes into the stadiums. But a, an awful lot of people like to go out and go to the pub or go to the mates and watch it. And obviously, if it was if the games was played in the in the current lockdown conditions, then everybody would still be completely isolated as it is. So I, I, I agree with what Doyle said. I think it, for me, one of the most important aspects of it was that they haven't made themselves hostage to fortune by putting a date on it. I think I'm right in saying, was, was the first date that they came up with after the initial suspension in early March today? or, or Tomorrow. The first tomorrow. Game? Yeah. Tomorrow, it I was, think, yeah. That's right, because the first game back would have been City-Liverpool, which obviously should have been tomorrow. Then obviously there was this second extension to the 30th of April. And I think it, it very much seems like a common sense move now that they haven't, they haven't put a date or a number on it. But at the same time, they've reasserted quite categorically the the, the 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 desire seemingly from the the majority of clubs you know i think we've all heard whispers here and there and probably have our own views on that there will be some clubs that will quite happily have the whole season expunged from the records because it would suit them and would kind of like really let them off the hook for having a for having a, bit, a pretty bad year but the the consensus seems to be that people want to see it to a conclusion and i think that's the way it has to be um you know however long it takes because as Doyle pointed out we don't know if we could be in lockdown again at some point further down the line. I noticed you know, Kevin De Bruyne has jumped on the Harry Kane bandwagon, didn't he, in the last 24 hours and said, well, you know, if it's not done by a certain date and it causes problems to next season, then it's just got to be done. Well, well why is next season more important than this season? You know, it, it's cross, take one, cross one bridge at a time. Let's get this season sorted. Obviously, there's going to be disruption because we are living, none of us have ever lived any, through any, anything like this. These are unprecedented well, doily, circumstances. Mate, Hey. <laughs> <laughs> that was the Boer War, wasn't it? <laughs> um, so, no, I, um, I, I feel kind of qu- quite encouraged by, by what we've heard this afternoon in terms of Liverpool's title hopes. But, you know, a chat to a friend the other day who's a Tottenham fan who was saying, we well, must be on pins about this league. And I was saying, well, well, to be honest, not really, because in my mind, we've morally won it. To, to me, no matter what happens now, this season will always have a, a bit of a shadow over it regard because of coronavirus and in many ways it might even serve a purpose long term for Liverpool in that you know if there was a slight sense of having scaled Everest by winning this league 
the fact that this 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 championship, whenever it's completed, will have a slight different aspect to it. it means that hopefully there'll be that desire to go on and win it properly again when next season gets going, whenever that may, whenever that may be. Yeah, well, I, mean, I would like to point out that I, th- I think the UEFA meeting the other day has had a bit of a bearing on it because Definitely, they yeah. kind of made out that you know we want all of the leagues to be played to a conclusion and they didn't. It was never said, but it was implied, wasn't it? Certainly, some of the pieces that I read that if you don't complete your season properly, we won't let you go into the Champions mm. League and the you know Europa League next season. I know that Belgium stopped their league uh, early this week, but. They played 29 out of 30 games and they have some kind of strange playoff system at the end. So they just did away with the playoffs uh, thing and just counted everybody's positions as they were. And, you know, they were able to say, you know, I think it was Bruges, was it, that won the league, I think? That That's they, right, they're, side, yeah. they're in the They're in the Champions League, I think, Genk or against one of those two. They're in the Europa League or whatever it is, basically. So they were a special, you know, circumstance for everybody else. You know, the likes of Italy, France, Spain, Germany, England. I think... UEFA want them to conclude their leagues and it looks as though with the Premier League setting this precedent, I think the others will do the same thing as well now. Matt Addison sat patiently waiting to, to have Sorry. your contribution. <laughs> was going was to go in on the UEFA thing and obviously uh, Kevin De Bruyne saying along with Harry Kane, the league should be scrapped. Simon Mignolet is going get, to be getting his hands on a, a league title in his first year, obviously back in his homeland and I suppose it is just brilliant from a Liverpool fan perspective as much as anything that we are now going to see this season played up to a conclusion. Another re-affirmation from the Premier League, really, to nail down that this league is going to get done. Yeah, I mean, I think for me it was the only sensible solution. And I think actually the, the Premier League come out of this with today's statement really looking quite good, actually. I think they've they've addressed so many different parts of it, that, that you know, the NHS and that sort of thing, as, as well as the footballing integrity. And I think actually from an authority's perspective, I think they, they will look back and go, actually, that was, you know, quite good PR, if, if nothing else, of, of the way they've gone about it and the, the way that they've come to that conclusion. It would have been, you know, easy to, to get muddled up with all the, the different interests of various different uh, clubs and you know as, as Doily points out the, the UEFA meeting kind of gave them a little bit of clarity and a little bit of you know a direction of, of the best way to go from there but there was no you know there's there's no precedent for this there was no reason for them to to get it quite as, as clear um, as what they have done first time round so you know okay we've we've criticized them in the past for for coming up with you know maybe premature dates or premature targets for for getting this league back on again but i think they have come to a, a sensible conclusion the statement from from what i've read has been really clear and really positive and you know that's that's not just looking at it from a, a liverpool perspective i think you know most premier league clubs will will completely agree that that was the only option really going forward and you know once once the league does get back you know, as Dan said before, it, it would make no sense to to move on to a, a new season when this season is is seventy five percent of the way through. I mean, this one has to take precedence. That's something we've said from the start, and and today's meeting just completely reaffirms that, as you say. Another issue that's really come to the fore, Doyle, certainly over the last twenty four forty eight hours, is the amount of money that footballers get paid. Um, you said before, obviously, Matt Hancock, the health secretary, referred to it. Was asked directly about it. In fact. In, his, in the press conference yesterday, the daily briefing the government are giving on the uh, coronavirus situation. And the Premier League have said in that statement today that there is um, unprecedented, uh, sorry, not unprecedented, that 
unanimously agreed that the Premier League clubs will consult their players regarding a combination of conditional reductions and deferrals amounting to 30% of total sort of annual remuneration. So a 30% pay cut perhaps on the cards for Premier League players. It's a weird situation we find ourselves in, obviously, with Premier League football, because we all talk about how much players earn all the time, that it is something that is kind of out there in the public, yet it seems a private matter that we shouldn't really, on podcasts like this, be talking about. Well, then, we shouldn't then, should we? Don't forget they do pay a lot of tax as well, so there is that on it as well. So it's not as if it's all going into their pockets, and so they're funding quite a lot of some of the big earners. I, I mean, OK, I understand that he was asked the question... But the same could be said for an awful lot of people who work in, you know, certain industries where they get paid an awful lot. I wasn't going to name them, but you've got bankers, there's one. You know, and we, we can go through all of the names of the individual Philip Green people like that, you know, who, who, <laughs> who earn a lot. Of, I'm just going for it. Who, uh, who earn a lot of money. And let's just see, because give them the opportunity. Let's just see what they actually give back at times of crisis. Because mm. the thing about footballers is that they're obviously – for whatever reason, right or wrong, they're seen as like moral arbiters, aren't they, of of society in a way. You know, when people talk about, for example, racism, people talk about racism in football, but it's racism in society but because football is a, an area where it's quite obvious where it happens and that millions and millions of people see it. It's kind of held up. And so, it, once again, football is in some way having to lead the way. And I agree with what Matt said, you, you know, the, the PR that will come out even though they weren't aiming for this, the PR that will come out from that statement, you know, it's kind of shut everybody up, all the critics, because then they can just turn around and say, well, we've done this and we've done it within weeks. What are you going to do? Mm. You know, everybody's having to play the part. They're playing it. So let's just <clears> see what, what the critics of the footballers. And, you know, there are other sports where people get paid a fair amount of money. And I'm pretty sure that they probably are paying, you know, they're, they're doing donations to the you know local food banks, their local charities, their local community. They're helping out doesn't mean that they have to go around and tell everybody all the time so let's just wait and see what happens with that no and also there's obviously away from Liverpool but there's there's stories that come out in the week that sort of completely show football in two different lights the mainstream view that gets taken is Jack Grealish doing a video telling people not to go out crashing his car and then being called out about it and having to apologize the other being Marcus Rashford and albeit a Manchester United player but doing an awful lot for local charities that Dan doesn't seem to get picked up and given as much credence no it, it doesn't and you know i think there's a you get the impression that a lot of the people who do it who involve themselves in good works in the community like that often actually insist on no publicity um we, we've had a story on the website earlier this afternoon about um jordan henderson and how he's involved in trying to lead some kind of coordinated response to support the nhs and he you know he, he, he you know the headline on the story actually says he doesn't want credit for it so it's, you know, Matt makes a very good point about, about PR. And, and so, sometimes it's, it's quite clear that when some things are done primarily for that, for that basis. But bearing in mind how, I think, how fragile a lot of people are feeling emotionally and mentally at the moment, I think it's very important that the right messages go out there. Obviously, we're all having to take the situation very, very seriously because it is an incredibly serious situation. But at the same time, I think it's it's important where possible to reassure people and kind of put people's minds at rest as much as possible. And, you know, f- footballers, as Doyle said, do play a, a significant role and probably do have perhaps at times more attention focused on them and their actions 
the maybe is the maybe is fair because at the end of the day they're only parts of society like anybody else. You could argue that well, the money they get, the fame they get, the adulation, the dream life that they've got that we would all love to do, maybe means that they have to take that on the chin. But at the end of the day, they're human beings like like anybody else. Um, and you know, the, 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 Liverpool and Everton have, bo- have both been very well, very very well known over the years for their for their excellent work in the community over over decades really of bringing people together and supporting each other through hard times and you know maybe at, at times it's been it's been felt by some that it might be almost a little bit of a box ticking exercise but i think what we're all living through at the minute i think really shows the the worth of these kind of ventures and i think it's very much hoped that once please god we all come through the other side of this that people really understand and really get the 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 benefit of these kind of schemes and give them the support both both financially, but also in terms of their time, that uh, that they deserve. Yeah, and within the the Premier League statement, Matt, they they mentioned how the Premier League clubs have already been supporting tens of thousands of people in their communities and talking about donations to food banks, phone calls to the elderly. That Dan's mentioning Everton, they've certainly obviously been been doing that. But this twenty million pounds that is also being donated to the NHS. Dan alluded to it before, Jordan Henderson. I suppose it just shows leadership doesn't just come on the field of play, but he's, as the leader of the Premier League leaders, is getting in touch with all of the clubs around the division to ensure that the clubs do sort of club together as they can for our National Health Service. Yeah, exactly that. I think Liverpool fans will will be reading that story and and being really proud, actually, that it's Jordan Henderson who's the one who's taken the initiative and and sort of led the way with that for the rest of the Premier League teams to to follow suit. And, you know, it it just goes to show really what we all know of Jordan Henderson. You know, he is he's that sort of character. He's shown himself to be that sort of leadership, as you say, in a footballing sense. But it's that human sense as well, which, you know, it's all too easy to to go on the negative side with, with football stories as, as you've both discussed already. And, you know, something like this, I think as much as he's not doing it for the reason of, of you know, look at me, look, look at the, the big contribution that I'm making. I think it, it is massively important that we do highlight it and do sort of cancel out, if you like, the, the negativity that, that does go towards football at, at times, um, just because, you know, Jordan Henderson here has done something that he didn't have to do, you know, that he didn't have to go out of his way to, to make that contribution, but, the kind of person that he is and the kind of captain that he is for Liverpool Football Club. That's what he deemed to be the right thing. And, and I think, you know, I, I'm not the only one who, who can look at that and, and smile and go, yeah, that, that's exactly what we want Liverpool Football Club to be about. And Doyle, Matt says there that Liverpool fans reading that story, seeing that story will be proud. Another thing mm. is they probably won't be surprised, will they? No, no chance. Everybody knows what, you know, we've seen what's happened over the last couple of weeks with certain players you know but you know you know putting donations through to food banks and whatnot i mean andy robertson's one who's who's for a long time has been key to that so i mean it's not just those two it's you know all the players probably you know they do their bit in their own separate little way you look at alison becker he's a, a world health organization ambassador you know so he, he was doing this even before you know for about a year or so so you know for him you know i think there was a story we ran the other day about you know he, he got into he was speaking with man uh was it Manuel Neuer? No, Mark uh, Terstegen at Barcelona. And he was teaching how to wash his hands properly. So he said, you know, of all, of all the things he could tell me, you know, it was just something like that. And then he said, well, the impo- Terstegen then said, well, the importance of that is that, you know, as footballers, we've got millions of followers on social media. So if we put a video out or a message out saying this is how you're supposed to wash your hands, then loads of people see it, then more people see it on that. So they are, you know, they're using their fame for good. 
as I said, it's not just footballers. There will be other, you know, celebrities or other sportsmen or, or, or people like that. Everybody, as Dan said, everybody's doing the bit because, you know, it doesn't discriminate this virus, does it? Everybody can get it. So it doesn't matter how much money you've got in the world or how little money you've got. You've, you've got as much chance if, if somebody's walking next to you, you know, you know, is anybody getting it? So it is one where the footballers have to be, you know, I wouldn't say they have to be seen to do their bit, but they've made it, taken it upon themselves to do what is right and there are not enough people in this world who are in a position that could do that who are doing so. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Here on the, the Blood Red Podcast, whilst we do have a, a break in football, as you may have realised over the last few episodes, we're talking about the current situation and then moving into a bit of nostalgia and talking about things that have gone on through the years. We've spoken about Torres, we've spoken about Coutinho, and today on the uh, podcast we're going to talk about a game 24 years ago, Collymore closing in, Liverpool beating Newcastle United 4-3 and Anfield. They repeated the trick the following year, actually, in March 97 as well. But as well as that game, we're going to talk about greatest games at Anfield just in the Premier League. We talk a lot about European nights at Anfield, but in the Premier League. And firstly, I'll, I'll come back to you, Doyley. In terms of this game... I mean, it took some beating some time for any game in the Premier League era, really, to come close to it, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean I'm sure Dan will say the same thing. I was there, so it was... Uh, I'm pretty sure it was a Wednesday, wasn't it? It was a Wednesday night? Yeah, I'm sure it, it was, was a Wednesday night. Wednesday night. Yeah. It was a little bit chilly. <clears throat> uh, what I can tell you about that is the only... One of only two times ever, certainly the only time as a fan, where I've left my seat during the game because I was absolutely desperate for the toilet, right... And it's when it's when Newcastle made it one all anyway. I can't wait any longer. So I went off. Ten minutes in, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just couldn't wait. So I thought I can't get half time here. So so they make it one all. I go. I've got to go. So I went off, and as I'm in there, I just hear this kind of you know slight roar. And I'm thinking, what's happened there? Came out, and of course, there's no scoreboard or anything. So I'm walking all the way back to my seat, sit down, and then my brother says to me, "Yeah, it's two one to them." So, you know, I managed to miss one of the goals in that game. But, uh, but yeah, it was, a, it, was, it was one of those ones where even, I think, Liverpool scored early, didn't they? Robbie Fowler. Three ahead. minutes, yeah. Yeah. And even then you could tell. You know, you can always tell, you know, I know Jurgen Klopp's spoken about it now where he says there's always something in the air at European nights. But that felt like one because it was the night game. It was under the floodlights. Mm. It's a big game between two teams. Two teams who at the time were renowned just for basically going for it, partly because neither of them could defend, to be honest. So, and you had the, obviously there was the story of Keegan coming back. And then there was the, the added intrigues that Liverpool was still in the title race at that point. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. think I'm pretty sure I'm saying that they then lost 1-0 to Coventry the following, yeah. four days later, which kind of ended it for them. But, you know, it was it was exciting times then. And um, with the players that were on show, you know, you had Russian, I think Russian Barnes came on as subs, didn't they? Think so, yeah. Yeah, so you've got those players. No, Barnes on started the game, yeah. Rush came on. Oh, did he? Rush yeah. came on, yeah, yeah. So you've got those players playing. They're, okay, they're coming towards the tail end of their careers. And then you've got the likes of, I think, further to say, um, Rob Jones was playing left back, left wing back. Yeah, was right, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was kind of at his peak before the injuries totally took hold of him. You know, McAtee was, was enjoying himself. Then you've got, you know, Fowry's Pomp, McManaman. Uh, Collymore when he, he was very good in his first season then you got all the Newcastle players so looking back it was a recipe for it to be a great game and then just the way that the game went as well wasn't it you know 1-0 then 2-1 then 3-2 then it was you know it, it seemed as though even at 3-all there was a sense that this one hasn't finished yet and of course when then Collymore does score 
you've seen the images of Kevin Keegan on the sidelines, you know. And in some ways, I know people talk about, um, you know, Alex Ferguson's mind games at the time. And, you know, I'd love it if we beat them. That's when Newcastle lost that league. That that goal, that, yeah. that basically was it. I know there was, it must have been about six weeks left, but that kind of put the seed of doubt into the minds that they were just thinking, oh, no, because they'd had a very big lead. I think it had been cut back by that point, but they were still very much in it. And then, you know, we saw what happened. Yeah, we certainly did. You mentioning you missed Newcastle's second goal, scored yeah. by David Gillen, Gillen, David Ginola. Well, you'll get chance to watch it this evening. Sky Sports putting a, a repeat of the, the full game on, so you will get chance to watch I it. Seen, I've seen it since. By ah, way, yeah. right. Well, I was going to say if you were in any doubt, you would you would get chance to see it tonight. But Dan. I know we've spoken in the office actually about this season and that Liverpool really were sort of in touching distance, certainly going into the latter stages of the season, trying to win that game. And it is one of the things actually that's often forgotten. Liverpool winning that game, how important that was for Liverpool, as much as, as Doyley said, it was really the night that Newcastle's grip on the title perhaps began to loosen. Well, absolutely. But also as well, it's worth pointing out that the Sunday before this match, Liverpool had beaten Aston Villa in the FA Cup semi-final. So, Everybody was up for it, you know. It's it would well Liverpool's first final for four years, but it it was a it, it felt an even bigger game because there was this jubilant feel about the city because we got through to Wembley. We knew we were going to play Manchester United in the final, where obviously United were you know absolutely in their pomp under Ferguson. So it was set up beautifully. Uh, I, I should point out at this point, I unfortunately was not at the match. It was my first what? year. No, it was my <laughs> first year. It was my first year as a season ticket holder. I had a lovely little seat in the paddock, halfway between the halfway line and the cop end, just towards the back. But unfortunately, I had a family event that I, by hook or by crook, could not get out of. So, and because every basically everyone else I knew was going, my lovely paddock seat stayed empty. So I, I did manage to avoid the score, likely lad style, for uh, you know over the course of the evening. I managed to get home and watch it. I think I think there was a match of the day. Like we didn't, we didn't have Sky then, but we watched. I, I was going to say you yeah. video recorded it. You taped recorded yeah. it on the <laughs> on the old VHS. Yeah, the yeah, VHS, not yeah. Quite, not quite beta match. <laughs> it, was, it was VHS. Um, and it, as jubilant as I was, there was also this kind of like aching feeling in my stomach that I've probably missed. Maybe the greatest match I'll ever go to. Now, I mean, I'm fortunate enough to have been to Istanbul and Barcelona and had some. You know, epic memories since then. But as, as Doyle pointed out, as the dust settled from the game, it all of a sudden became clear that for three days, really, Liverpool were in with a title, were in with a tilt at the double. Uh, and unfortunately, as was sadly endemic of, of, of or symptomatic of that side under Roy Evans, they they just had this brittle side of them where, when the pressure was really on, and we saw it particularly the following season um, when they ended up finishing fourth in the two horse race. They played some of the some of the best football I've seen in the thirty five years plus of watching the Reds, but they were they didn't have that kind of mental application to get themselves over the line. It should be pointed out as well. Yeah, you know, United were a good side, and you know we had this incredible mentality instilled into them by their manager. Um, but it was it, it's it's it, it will always go down as one of the. I, I did go to the four three the following year, but it was very much a different feel that game, wasn't it? Because for seventy minutes Liverpool were phenomenal, three 0 up. And playing like champions, and then unfortunately the last twenty last twenty minutes they were horrific, and conceded three goals. And even though Fowler scored that one, you know, real magnificent header at the cop end, really attacked across from sticking Gibbonery. I remember walking out the ground as it was. I think it was a Monday night game, 
walking out the ground thinking, as exhilarating though that is, you can't win a championship defending like that. And unfortunately, that, that's what that proves to be the case. I have a confession to make about that game because I was at that one and I agree with mm. them. It was 3 0 after 70 minutes. Liverpool played them off the park. Then he yeah. went, but he went to three all. I think this, I think David James was at fault with one of them. Or James was, some, all, all it, yeah, it was all, yeah, he was all over the place. Anyway, when he went to three all, me and my mates just went, we'd had enough. And where we sat, no. on, the, where we sat oh. on the halfway line, right? And we got up, walked out, mouthed something towards the dugout, walked out. And as we just got outside the ground, we had this huge roam. We just looked at each other and went, oh. So, <laughs> wow! Confession time. Yeah. There you go. So there's, and I think there's only to, to put this into perspective. I think there's only ever two games ever since before that when I was a lot younger and we used to have to like sometimes leave a bit early where I've missed goals right at the end. So since then, the only two games that I've missed a goal were those two Newcastle four threes. Wow! Yeah. <laughs> so of the of the fourteen goals, Ian Doyle since twelve of them. <laughs> But Matt, it'd be yeah. unfair to, to say to yourself, mate, what are your memories of the game? Because I'm not sure if you were you were on the planet yet. But I mean, yourself, you must be looking forward to perhaps watching it back tonight. But thankfully for the Reds, there haven't been a shortage of great Premier League nights and days at, at Anfield ever since. No, I mean, it, it's one of those games that it was actually about 18 months or so before I was born. So uh, I, I wasn't there and I, I don't remember it. That's <laughs> <laughs> so but, uh, Yeah, it, it's one of those games that, you know, you, you see it talked about and you, I've heard that that commentary line. I think it was Martin Tyler, actually, wasn't it? Which, yeah. is, uh, which is interesting, given the, the kind of relationship that he has with, with some Liverpool fans at the moment, if you like. And uh, yeah, it, it's, it's one of those iconic Premier League moments. And, you know, it, it's interesting that we always talk about Champions League moments and, and we never really look back at, at Premier League games and, and whether that's because Liverpool up to now haven't won the Premier League or whether it's the, the, the night thing that, you know, most of the the, champ, well, the Champions League games, of course, under the lights and, and most Premier League games aren't. I'm not too sure. But yeah, there's there's, there's been plenty of very, very good Premier League games over the, the past however many years it's been. And, and that was certainly one of them. But yeah, plenty more as well, which I'm sure we're going to delve into in, in just a second. Yeah, we best get into them. Just before we do, I just want to ask uh, Doyle and Dan just quickly on, obviously, Collymore and Fowler both grabbing a brace on that night. We talk, well, we don't really talk now so much about strike partnerships, but we had an interview on the Blood Red channel earlier today that for the first time I got to listen to it, getting the audio ready for it. And Stan Collymore talking about that partnership with Robbie Fowler. Just wondered your guys' thoughts on actually how strong and how formidable a partnership that was. Because at the time, Collymore was obviously a, a British transfer record. I mean, Collymore was a player who, he could have been whatever he wanted to be. He had absolutely everything. You know, he could shoot from distance. He knew where the goal was. He could just run past players. He could dribble past them. He was powerful. He just knocked them over. He could score headers. You know, he could do more or less everything. But, you know, it's like so many other players that, for whatever reason, it just didn't work. Whether he had the, the mental strength, I know he's had problems with that since. Whether that had anything to do with it, I don't know for sure. But for that 12 months when he first signed for Liverpool, 95 he signed. So that 95, 96 yeah. was the first season. And with him and Fowler, they were just they were almost unplayable at times. And that was that game was a was a prime example of it. I mean, the, the thing is, is that the following season it didn't quite, for whatever reason, I can't quite remember why things started to go a little bit wrong and then Michael Owen came on the scene and that was kind of it basically so but for Collymore he, he could have been he's almost like one of the great lost talents at Liverpool even though yeah. when you look at his numbers <clears throat> he did really well 
Absolutely. I, I would only concur with what Ian said. You know, they, they, and the thing was quite well documented, even from the first couple of weeks. They didn't get on particularly well off the field. And I think within the first six weeks, two months or so, Ian, I remember Collymore doing an interview in 442 or something like that, saying what industry would spend this amount of money on a player and not know how yeah. to use him. And <clears> after a good start to the season, they, they had a pretty dodgy November, lost three or four games. But things kind of really picked up again around about Christmas time or just before Christmas. One game that sticks out to me particularly was Nottingham Forest on New Year's Day, um, particularly because I'd gone to a big party or something in, in London, stayed up all night, got the train back in the morning. And with Liverpool 2-0 down after about 15 minutes, I was thinking, why, why did I bother? But the two of them combined, Collymore and Fowler, I think they got two each. Liverpool were level by half-time and won 4-2. The atmosphere was always the kind of thing. Anfield's at its loudest sometimes when Liverpool are behind but coming back. And I've seen highlights of that game before. And those two, obviously, Collymore was particularly fired up because it was his first game back against his old club. <clears throat> and the, the two of them, re- I, think, I think they got 55 goals between them that season in, in the league. Fat, fat, or maybe all 12. Fowler 36 and Collymore 19, which are really good numbers. Um, and, you know, I think it, this, if, it, one incident from this game, it sums up the kind of almost, not quite telepathic on a Keegan Toshak type scale, but the 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 way they were on the same wavelength. The opening goal in the fir- in the first couple of minutes, where the, the move broke down the Liverpool left, and Collymore on what supposedly was his weaker left foot, just swung this magnificent first time cross from the bar line right onto Robbie Fowler's head, who who bulleted bulleted it past. I think the late Pavel Turnishek in in, yes. in the new in the new, in the Newcastle goal, and they were a fantastic partnership. And and as Doyley said, there's it's a real kind of feeling of what might have been with those two in. Yeah, certainly. Well, let's get into some other great Premier League occasions then at Anfield. Matt, I'll let you kick us off, mate, because we've heard, I'll say in comparison the terms, man. the old stages <laughs> have their turn. So, Matt, you can you can kick us off on this one, mate. Yeah, uh, from a, a personal perspective, one of the, the games that you know I, I remember really well was the, the 3-2 win over Manchester City in, in 2014. It, you know, it, it's one that, that gets picked out all of the time for, for a, a variety of reasons. Obviously, I think it was sort of the 34th game maybe of that season where it looked like Liverpool, you know, were going to end that Premier League drought. And, you know, certainly I think it's it's easy to look back at that game now and think, oh, well, you know, what happened after that means that it, it wasn't such a great occasion. But actually on the day being there, the atmosphere, the whole thing around it, you know, the, the emotion as well, I think that... You know, it would have been what the the twenty fifth uh, anniversary of Hillsborough was, was that weekend, and, and the, the sort of whole occasion, the way it was marked, was was you know unbelievable to to be a part of that. And you know, uh, in in terms of the game itself as well, the way that, that Liverpool won it, that Felipe Coutinho, you know, his name popping up hey. again on a Blood Red podcast, <laughs> um, you know, the, the, <laughs> the the late goal from him, the just the, the way that the, the game ebbed and flowed and obviously we talked about the the four three Newcastle game before and you know it, it wasn't quite that that crazy but it was two absolutely top class teams who went at it and, and attacked and you know even though it was such a huge game in the title race it was you know I'm sure for from a neutral perspective as well it was a, a fantastic game to watch and you know so many brilliant performances from from both teams but you know James Milner of course playing I think Came on at half time. Yeah. yeah, he did. Yeah, absolutely yeah. sensational, and, and plenty of you know other other players as well. David Silva, I think, was was remarkable on that day as well. But yeah, what a season that was for Liverpool, and, and that for me was was the best game of that season, not least because I was there. 
and much like Dan, you saying, or Doyle Cumminbur, which one of you actually it was who said about that being the night that the 4-3 that Newcastle actually lost, began to lose grip of the Premier League title. That was the day it fell in 2014 that Liverpool were getting their hands or getting one hand on the title. I don't know if you agree, Doyle. Yeah, but I'd rather talk about a game that happened a few weeks before that against <laughs> Arsenal. Where, um... how, how surprising. <laughs> where, uh, it's funny, isn't it? That 5-1, there were six goals in that game. And the one thing everybody remembers is the goal that didn't go in, which was mm. Suarez's shot against against the post, which I have to say is in my top three Premier League moments in the last 15 years. The other two being uh, David Silva's pass to Edin Dzeko for Man City's goal in the 6-1 Six Old Trafford. Yeah. And then the, the other one being, and it's a bit of a niche one, this, the last minute of Everton v Arsenal in 2016 in December when Petr Cech went up front and he, there's that famous picture of him. in the. I think it's Petr Cech. He's in the back of the goal and Steck Allenberg is like the Everton goalkeeper and he stood in front of him. So it's like, the, and so I think Arsenal are trying to, like, I think Sanchez is trying to have a shot. And his own goalkeeper is behind the goalkeeper that he's trying to put the ball in the net. And Everton break down the other end and should score and, and miss an open net. And then Arsenal break down the other end and then nearly nearly score. And then the game ends. So that doesn't really answer your question, like, but I just wanted to get that in there. Uh, but yeah, the Arsenal 5 ones one. Uh, there's another one, which I think Dan will remember. In 99, Liverpool played Everton. And they hadn't beaten them in something like five years. Five years. Yeah, five years. April the 3rd. On this day, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they won 3-2, but in the last minute, there was this young lad. He'd only made a few appearances. He'd, I don't know whether he'd come on a sub or started. And he, he Came on as a sub, uh, right back. He back-heeled a shot off the line, and his name was Steven Gerrard. And it was celebrated as though it was basically a goal. Mm. So it was. Uh, that's also the one where Robbie Fowler did some copied Rigobert songs, African celebration, was it? Yeah, I think, that, I think that's it. Yeah, that was, that was it, Gerrard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, and Dan, I think, I mean, in terms of games there, Doyle's basically gone through the whole back catalogue. But that Everton one, I suppose, for you, probably does stand out as well, does it? It, it does very much. I was at the previous derby that, that Liverpool had won, which was the last one in front of a standing cop in March 1994, when Fowler scored on his derby debut, having come back from a broken leg. And I think it went to pretty much every derby in between that Liverpool didn't win. It was Joe Royal's Dogs of War period. And even though... I think in that period, 94 to 99, Everton had two last day escapes from relegation. Liverpool just couldn't beat them. So um, going into that, match, I mean, Liverpool were having a lousy season. It was it started with the, the doomed joint manager situation between Hooley and Evans. It ended up with Man United winning the treble. And it, it was slim pickings, really, for, for Reds fans. So really, a, a win over the Blues was very, very much needed. The game got off to the worst possible start when Olivier Decor scored a deflected goal at the cop end within 40 seconds. But Robbie Fowler scored two goals and celebrated them in his own inimitable style, should we say. And when Patrick Berger kind of volleyed one in from a corner with about 10 minutes left, I remember the, the great celebrations thinking, that's it, 3-1. It's a lovely sunny day and we can relax now and enjoy enjoy our weekend. But Everton, Fran, Francis Jeffers pulled one back straight away and I remember thinking that would be the first of many for him because he, he looked like a great young prospect for the Blues and obviously it didn't really happen for him. And then all of a sudden we were under the caution. And I think, if I remember rightly, Dolia, I think um, Gerard actually kicked the ball off the line twice, both times from Danny Kadamatri, after both times David James had gone AWOL out of his goal, which unfortunately <laughs> That's was... That's unlike him, yeah. <laughs> well, um, yeah, don't get me started on him. Um, but but when the whistle went, it, it was a great... You know, it, it, it was a real significant memory for me, kind of like coming out of a... 
a difficult period of my life and and it was what a game i always kind of treasure really and just to, just a, a couple of other ones to mention i'd absolutely agree with matt the city game in 2014 the whole experience you know the the emotional power of everything before the game it was the anniversary the inquest had only just started a couple of weeks before as well uh and steven gerrard's thing after the match when you know he gathered the players in the center circle and you know, gave them that rallying call. And, he, and he's often mocked for that. And I think that's very unfair because, to me, that was exactly what he should have been doing. That that was real captaincy, which at times, and it's a different podcast maybe, I didn't always think Gerard was the greatest captain in the world, but he did the right thing that day. And, and all right, the fates conspired. I mean, you couldn't make it up. He says, this does not slip, and he slips. You, you couldn't write that, could you? But, you know, to the day I die, I will remember that day as a real treasured memory and, and Gerard's performance in it before, during and after. I remember his, I remember his interview, his Sky interview after the game. And you could, you could, you could, you could feel the emotion. He would, he looked as, and felt as emotionally drained, I think, as, as everybody else did. Um, to make Doyle feel a little bit better about his Newcastle faux pas, that 5-1 it mentioned, I, that was, that was, if ever there was a day not to get in the ground 20 minutes late, it was that <laughs> right here. Four nil. I missed the first four goals. I'm not even joking. I'm not even joking. It's a longer story for a different podcast. One other Arsenal memory. Memory. Sorry, guy, but but if we're talking about great Premier League moments. This one has to be mentioned as well. August 1994, the very first game at Anfield after the Spine Cop had been demolished, and a young Robbie Fowler, in only his first full season, really in the team, scored this incredible hat trick in four against the quintessential Arsenal defence. Four minutes, four and a half minutes, and it was a record that stood for, what, 20-plus years until it was broken by? Sadio Mane. Anyone? Sadio Mane, there you go. Yeah, no, I was gonna, I was gonna come back to you, Doyle, actually, and say August '94. Uh, you can, you can have a free shot, Robbie Fowler getting a, a quick hat trick against Arsenal because that that was a record that did stand. Really looked as though, to be fair, it was probably going to stand the test of time, given how long it takes players to celebrate nowadays. Yeah, it did. I mean, I can pick another Arsenal game for if you want. There's so many of them. There was a 4 0 over a, a Christmas thing in 2001 or something like that. So, file a hat trick, uh, December 95. Yeah, there's, 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 a, there's so many wins over Arsenal. Even the, the recent ones, was it 4 0? And there was a 3 1. And I don't know. There's just, there's just you know, so just keep coming. That's basically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, it, uh, but we, we, we can we can sort of go on from that. But actually, talking of even modern ones and even more recent ones that we might in time look back on even more fondly, Jose Mourinho's final game as Manchester United manager, Matt. 3-1 win, Jordan Shakiri getting a couple. That seemed to be a, a massive moment. Yeah, I think obviously any win over Manchester United is a, a big moment and that was certainly a, an enjoyable occasion. But, you know, it, it's not right up there with the, the absolute great, you know, Anfield days for, for Premier League wins just because of where Manchester United were as a club at the time. And, and obviously you say it was Jose Mourinho's last game as manager. That that kind of sums up, you know, the position that they found themselves in. So as much as, yeah, it, you know, it, it, obviously any win over a Manchester United or an Everton or, or a team like that is, is going to be important, is going to be enjoyed. It, you know, it's not it's not anywhere close to, to those other moments that we've discussed already. I, I would suggest, actually, sorry to jump in, that, that this season's game over United was possibly more significant. Because if you remember when Mo Salah went through and scored, the clinch, uh, we were hanging on a little bit 1-0 um, and, and got that clinching goal in the final minutes of the second half. It was the first time really all season that the ground sung, we're going to win the league. And that, to me, felt like quite a kind of symbolic moment. Um, so I'd, I'd say in terms of that, that and the City game, the 3-1 in November, I'd say possibly with, with the two 
league matches that possibly stand out from, from this year's campaign? Because possibly the most famous uh, Premier League game at Anfield was one where Liverpool won, but nobody cared about it. The Blackburn game, the last yeah. game of the season, 95, which was a very odd atmosphere for everybody who was there. I know there was a lot of talk before the oh, game yeah. of some Liverpool fans were were saying, oh, well, you know, we've got to support Blackburn. But the minute the game started, everyone was like, hang on. No, I didn't pay all this money to support Blackburn. And then and it was like, you know, when Liverpool scored the goals, everybody was cheering. So it was a, it was a bit of a, an odd day. And of course, if, you, if you're from a Liverpool, of a Liverpool persuasion, it all ended particularly well. Liverpool won and United still didn't win the league. So good. And Kenny Dalglish, obviously the man to stop United from doing it. But that about wraps it up. Nice to actually not do something where we're having to rank it and decide what are the greatest moments. Nice to have a, a bit of a chuckle and laugh along the way as well. Guys, thanks a lot for your time. No problem. Cheers, Guy. Cheers, Guy. Thank you very much. Well, that wraps us up for this edition of the Blood Red podcast. Of course, we'll be back on Monday. Hope you can join us then. Until next time, bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.